I'm Bianca Vivion, and this is Ask Viv. So, welcome, welcome, welcome to Lucky Number Episode 13. Every single time that I sit down to record these episodes, I have to undo myself. In taking these questions, I have to comb my brain and heart for the right things to say. And it's not out of fear of saying the wrong thing, but it's a fear of saying the right things, the things that I know in my heart, the wrong way. And so I think that for this episode, an episode in which we'll be talking about dreams, pleasure, satisfaction, and joy, I can't really overestimate the urgency and necessity to protect one's dreams just because I didn't realize that when I finally came upon mine and it'd be time to hustle and to grind for my own and it'd be time to prove myself and all the work that I've done would finally amount to something I didn't realize how many outside forces there would be to discourage me from that and just how much I would be up against in trying to get to my dreams you have a certain amount of control over yourself you have a certain amount of of discipline, you have a certain amount of work ethic, you have a certain amount of hustle that you just have because of who you are and how you're raised. And you can seek to improve that, you can seek to control that, you can always build skills, you can always hone talents, but you can only do so much to protect your dreams within yourself. And these last two years of my life have been nothing but working to build a sense of discipline and build that place inside myself that I can house my dreams but I had underestimated how much one other people would not be happy for me that is probably the biggest thing my first dream was graduating Columbia that's gone that's out of the way I'll never have to do that again but since I've been working on these new dreams and building my career and trying to put my voice out there and give a voice to people who don't have one or who have not figured out how to use it my life dream I have been met with so much malice and negativity from people who I thought would be happy for me. People who I thought would congratulate me and wish me well have not. When you are trying to get your dreams, you have to understand that it will often be the people closest to you, the people in your circle around you who are not happy for you. And it's partially because people don't like to see you change in any capacity, but it's also because something in people understands that if you're changing and they're remaining the same, that there has to be a way in which those two facts are inherently incompatible and you will have to leave people behind because I find that the friends that say congratulations I'm happy for you keep going right off the bat no hesitation those are the people who I also see changing too who I see working the most reflecting my own life in their lives and I find love there but the people who are stagnant the people who are staying the same the people who are lost and confused the people who are deeply deeply unsatisfied with their own lives they have a very very difficult time saying genuine congratulations and no matter if you think that it's outright malice or you just think that it's disappointment or you're confused as to why people act like that you have to cut them off and if you can't cut them off like a lot of friends I have can't cut their parents off who are not happy for the people that they've turned out to be then you have to distance them and you have to create healthy boundaries because there's nothing nothing more important than protecting your dreams and I say that there's nothing more important than protecting your dreams with a sense of 
of urgency because I realized that there is really an 80-20 relationship for dreams and failure, meaning about 80% of people fail somewhere along trying to achieve their destiny. This thing, a legacy, this thing, our life's work, 80% of people never get there. And even though that may sound harsh or that may sound shocking, if you look around, you'll really understand it to be a fact of life because when you think of how many people actually get their dreams and then you think of the other 80% of people that you are around all the time, and this can be ages 18 to 88, people who are already stuck in a place of complacency and fear, people who have already decided that the way that life is is the way that life is going to be, people who have already settled on the choices that they made, and people who are currently making choices that will one day become the consequences that result in the life that they have and the legacy that they leave behind, people that have already decided, people that have already decided that they don't have much of a life path or a destiny at all, just because of the way that they view themselves. That is who the world is filled with. And the other 20% of people, think about those people when you meet them, those people who breathe their own light, those people that are hyper-focused on the things that they want to do, those people that convey a sense of discipline and are genuinely well-adjusted, healthy, happy people. Because I'm not even talking about 80% of people are failures and 20% of people are successful. I'm talking about a 20% of people that are actually well-adjusted, happy, healthy people doing what they want to do in life, who genuinely are walking through the world with very few regrets, who are saying, I know who I am, I love myself, and I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, even if I don't know exactly how I'm going to get there. Because that is something that's much rarer than success. You find tons of people who have material success and then their private lives are in disarray. Or you have people who are comfortable with the domestic lives that they built, but deeply unhappy with the way that they've approached their own dreams. And so just know that the world is always trying to take your dreams away from you. People are always going to try to discourage you from being who you need to be, because that's just the way that the game goes. And so with that being said, I've been thinking about ways in which I can protect my own dreams. And firstly, I think about cultivating a sense of discipline. I've realized that it's very difficult for us to find discipline because we live in such a hedonistic society in which we are constantly indulging in our personal desires, often at the demise of our dreams. And so when you think about the things that bring you pleasure, whether that be sex or food or spending money, think about how those things deter you from your long-term goals and your dreams because I realize and I say this a lot that at one point I was doing exactly what I wanted to do I was running down my bank account I was interacting with absolutely whoever doing whatever eating whatever and I realized that day by day by the end of the day I can be completely satisfied having gotten what I wanted but having gotten nothing that I needed and I was stuck in that loop for a long time and when I say a long time I mean like two or three years I was stuck in that loop all the while something in the back of my head said you could be doing more you should be doing more but I didn't have that sense of urgency and that's because I was constantly indulging in pleasure and I didn't know that there was even an alternative because everything around me said do what you want do what you want because I live in the center of hedonism New York City is literally the center of hedonism everything comes quickly everything goes quickly you can always get what you want 24 hours a day quite literally if you decided you wanted a brand new dress at 
3 a.m. there'd be some way to get it and I realized that my environment was working to the detriment of that and so I had to learn how to forsake my indulgences and how did I do that well I talked one part about it last episode I learned to desire pain I learned to desire the temporary pain of exercise or the temporary pain of budgeting or the temporary pain of dieting or the temporary pain of abstinence and celibacy I learned to desire those things because I realized that once I could desire those things and once I could fill myself up with the exact opposite of the things that I had been doing that I could build for myself a dream and a long-term sense of satisfaction and the funny thing is is that once I started to forsake my indulgences those other things didn't even take that long to come around you start exercising your body changes pretty quickly you stop giving up sex and your time romantically casually and you see who actually cares about you as a person you stop spending money on bullshit and you see how quickly your money adds up all of those things happen very quickly start to see the differences in yourself and I started to relearn the pleasures that come in fantasizing and so when I told my sister that I had started to rediscover a sense of fantasy the first thing she said is keep your mind from going there because once you go there it alters your reality it alters the way that you think about yourself and I think that that's so funny that that's the first place that we think of when we think about fantasy and imagination the first thing we think is to stop ourselves and part of it is because we associate fantasy and people who live in fantasy worlds with hysteria or people who are crazy when you see people on the street talking to themselves or those people who seem fully far gone we always say they're in their own world and we say it as a pejorative thing but to be in this world 24 7 this very highly anxious depressive expensive world you start to realize that actually going into your your own world a few times a day is really not that bad indulging in your imagination is pleasure without consequence and when people constantly ask me how do they become better artists how do they tap into their creative self when they never have imagination is the place that you go because when you're a kid it's the first place that you go and it's becoming so bombarded in reality is the thing that keeps us from our artistic selves in being so wrapped up in what we see and what we hear and what we feel like that we can't go to a place that's completely made up and I think that when I tapped into my fantasies and my imaginations, I started to realize what I actually wanted. And I think it's a difficult and scary question for us to ask what we really want because we're so constantly bombarded with what we should want. And I realized that I had very mediocre ideas of success compared to my childlike, wildish imaginations. When I started indulging in fantasy, I could really think of the type of man that I wanted to be with. He was eloquent and he was strong and protective. And I realized that I don't think I've ever met an eloquent man in my life under the age of 55. So that was a fantasy. And I started to think about what kind of house that I really wanted. And it had a drawing room and it had these luxurious green emerald couches and it had large doors that open out onto a veranda that was a huge garden and I realized that I had these extravagant places that my mind could go that I don't think I had been in forever and so I really just want you to think about your wildest wildest dreams and I want you to protect them with everything that you have because that is the essence of who you are and often this world will try to tell us who we are and will try to take us to places that are nihilistic and apathetic and hopeless and dreamless and you have to fight fight against every single person around you fight against capitalistic propaganda fight against the entire world to protect who you are so that you can be a part of that 20% of people 
who really has a dream and so that you could pass on that dream to another generation who are increasingly hopeless about the future of this world. It's not just an inspirational Sunday thought to say protect your dreams. It's a political and personal responsibility to protect your dreams and to protect your hope for new life because something has to be better than what we can see in front of us and that's my thoughts for the week. So with that being said, I'm going to get right into these questions because I know that's your favorite part. Dear Viv, how do I get a job? I go to interviews and I'm always terribly nervous. Sometimes I do good and the employer tells me they'll contact me, but they never do. How can I ace a job interview? Every job that I've ever had that was actually worth having came not at all through an interview process. Let me tell you how people get jobs in 2018. Connections and nepotism. I realized, and I learned this at the height of capitalism working at a bank, that if a hiring manager has to hire somebody, they're so much more likely to go to another employee or somebody in their personal circle and hire that person than to ever resort to a stack of resumes. A lot of times people do formal interviewing processes just for the sake of bureaucracy and not being sued. In reality, they're always gonna hire their nephew's cousin, their wife's sister, et cetera, et cetera. And so you have to fake a personal connection with someone at the job that you want. The thing is, is that it sounds like a hard thing to do, but social media has made that whole seven degrees of separation about three degrees of separation. So if you really want a job, even if it means you're going to have to walk in and talk up the receptionist and then later be like, oh, I know your receptionist, that's what you have to do to get a job now especially if you're not good at interviews you're going to have to make up a fake interview so let me tell you what you do you find the email of the person who is either connected to or the actual person hiring you you email them and say hey you do this I really admire that I want to get into this field I have a background in such and such and such and such and I was hoping to meet with you for lunch or coffee you meet with them for lunch or coffee you butter them up and tell them how interesting their job is and you say that you're looking to get into the same field how can you go about that two things will happen they'll either say oh my god that's so great I'm actually a hiring manager and I can get you a job or they'll put you into contact with people that can or option number three they're going to say you could do my job but you're lacking such and such and such skills and they'll point you in the right direction to get the job that you actually want or tell you why you haven't been getting that job in the first place that is how you get a good job The cover letter resume thing is so passe. I don't even know how people still go through those processes and then they have to go through the process of rejection. So you have to be extremely personable and extremely proactive and it's nice because if you're not getting job interviews, you can just make up a bunch of these fake interviews in which you're completely in control of the conversation and then you'll get a job. And it's pretty much that simple and that complicated at the same time. Dear Viv, how do I find satisfaction in myself? Sometimes I do things that I know are self-destructive and hurt others too, but I feel like they're only because I don't have much love for myself. I want to break from these habits and try to be kinder to myself and others. What can I do to replace these acts of harm? You know, when I look back on the times in my life when I was extremely self-destructive, what I noticed, I was also on complete autopilot. Because once you're out of those times in your life, you look back and you say, how did I do that to myself? How could I say that to someone else? And it's because I was moving so fast for so long that I was saying whatever, doing whatever, eating whatever, being with whoever, 
so much that by the time I slowed down, I hadn't even realized what had become of my life except for in the consequences that I had seen in my own mind, body, soul, and in the relationships that I had reflected in others. Because it is very, very true the saying that misery loves company and hurt people hurt people. And so first, I would recommend that you really slow down. Get off the internet, which puts us on autopilot. And spend some real time with yourself and ask yourself, what do I want? What's going on with me? And when you say what's going on with you, think of every aspect of yourself. Say, how am I feeling? How is my health? What have I been eating? What have I been doing? Who have I been sleeping with? Who have I been talking to? What is going on with me? Because when I asked what was going on with Bianca, I had to straight up tell myself, you're not happy. And when I realized I wasn't happy, I said, okay, how do we fix this? And I didn't go straight back into autopilot. I, again, I slowed down and I said, one, it's going to start with your diet because I realized that part of it is that I felt really bad in my body. Then it meant cutting people out of my life that I had no desire to actually be around and had been taking up space in my life. Then I had to think about the words that I was saying out loud. A lot of times we don't understand how much effect that the words that we say, because a lot of us talk too damn much, I'm definitely one of those people. We don't think before we speak and we don't think about how the words that we say affect ourselves and affect others. And so think about the words that you say before you say them. I had done so much damage with words because a lot of the things that we say cause irreparable harm and permanent damage no matter how sorry we are once we finally realize what we said. So slow your life down. Really slow down. I, I find that when I slow down, when I take a full day of not talking to anyone and looking at my room, if it's clean, looking at my affairs to see if they're in order, asking myself how I feel, if I need sleep, if I need more water, if I need to go for a run, if I need to talk and call my mother. Those are the questions I ask myself that already have me feeling better about who I am because that is self-love. Self-love is not some Hallmark greeting card. It is an everyday practice. It's a battle. It's a fight and it is 100% possible. Dear Viv, how should I go about preserving my artistic integrity when I am restricted by money and business? I will recite one of the most important poems that I ever learned by heart. It's by Langston Hughes and it goes like this. Money and art are far apart. That's it. That's the poem. And let me tell you something because I think about this a lot. When I first decided that I was going to be a professional creative, get into whatever artistic mediums, I thought, can I make money with this? The immediate answer was no. Actually, let me tell you all something about Ask Viv. Ask Viv was supposed to be a column in The New Yorker. It was never supposed to be a podcast. It was something that I pitched as a written column until I realized that it would have to go through an editor. It would have to go through every single one of the New Yorker's advertisers. It would be advertised to only people who read and subscribed to the New Yorker. And I said, you know what? Let me make this a podcast. Free, 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 100% free. Don't care how much of my time it takes up. I love audio as a medium. I am going to do this completely by myself for free. Whatever comes of it after, that will be business. But this is purely for artistic purposes. The same thing with painting. The same thing with anything that I've done artistically. I've kept far away from my money. Which means, one, I'm always tired. (laughs) That's what that means. You all hit me constantly. Where's the new Ask Viv episode? If I'm not doing this... 
and I'm not getting it to you on time, it means that I'm doing a thousand other things to actually support myself, to put food on my table so that I can always afford to do this for free for you. So let me just tell you, your hustle and your art are going to have to be separate until you can find a way to monetize your art. And that is the reality of every single artist. So many artists will tell you, I worked at the UPS, I washed cars, I waited tables, and then all of a sudden an opportunity presented itself after I was doing my work all through the night and someone finally decided to pay me a significant amount of money for my art. And that means one, artists work twice as hard as everybody else. That is the reality of it. And I feel worse for college kids who are artists because they graduate and think, where's the museum? Where's the grant? Where's the residency? Why am I not getting paid? It's because the whole rest of the world who doesn't go to college knows that all college teaches you how to do is create such a high and personal, individualistic, personal, internal, introverted sense of self that you don't know how to work for anyone. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work during the day. You're going to have to do your art during the night or you're going to have to do your art during the day and you're going to work during the night until those two things coincide. And luckily for us, we live in a generation in which you can find such amazing artistic communities around you and on the internet that you will always be able to find a community and you will always be able to find an audience in a way that it's not going to take as long for art and money to coincide as it may have in the 1980s when you had the whole struggling artist trope and it was much more difficult to get quote unquote discovered. Now it's as easy as going viral once, going viral twice, showing up at a place and giving out your username enough times so that you really build a real following. So that is the reality of it. Until then, do not try to monetize your art until those two things authentically coincide because you will do quote unquote selling out or you'll take an opportunity prematurely that will dilute the quality of art that you want to make to the point where you don't recognize your own work. And that is exactly what happened to me. I was giving essays to very large outlets. We know which one, so I won't name the names, to the point where I could not even really recognize the things that I wrote because they were so simplistic, so liberal that they did not reflect my internal self, they didn't reflect my politics, they didn't reflect my reality as a woman, they didn't reflect my reality as a black person, Also, that I could get a following that I realized I didn't even want because those weren't the people I was talking to in the first place. So I'll start this question exactly how I finished it with this poem by Langston Hughes and it goes like this. Money and art are far apart. Dear Viv, what are your tips for beginners getting into painting? Let me tell you all why I started painting because I wasn't always a painter and it would be a cliche and ridiculous for me to say that. I started painting because when I was in high school, I was a sculptor. I graduated high school. Later on, I moved to New York City. When I moved to New York City, I could no longer afford to sculpt. Because I'm an artist by nature, I had to find a new medium, so I picked up a paintbrush. The first thing I used was watercolor paint. Watercolor paint is extremely hard because water is very difficult to manipulate. Then I used acrylic. Acrylic dries way too fast. Then I used oil. I realized that oil smells really, really terribly. I could barely breathe in the room that I used it. You need turpentine to thin it out. I just played and played and played with paint until I got decently good at it. My first few drawings were illustrations, meaning I outlined it in charcoal or pen before I painted it. And I just painted whatever came to mind, whatever had inspired me. 
Painting itself is not extremely difficult. It's really about learning how to control the medium that you choose. Now, my favorite thing is oil, and my paintings have been getting bigger and bigger, and if you follow me, you've seen that. Any medium of art, quote-unquote, getting into it is as simple as buying it and committing to doing it. I bought paper, I bought $2 watercolors, I bought a brush, and I started painting. And I did it every single day just because it was something that I had to do to feel okay at that time in my life. And now it's something that I do as a personal challenge to myself to see if I can actually articulate the visions of my mind on canvas. And so you need materials and an artistic challenge, and once you have that, then you're a painter. Becoming a painter is as easy as painting. And finally, Dear Viv, thoughts on unpaid internships? I found an opportunity that will provide training in political journalism, but it is unpaid. I really want it, but at the same time, I don't want to offer my labor for free, especially since it'll put me in a tight spot for the semester. If you never listen to anything else in your life that I tell you, listen to this. Never, ever, 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 ever work for free. There's two times when you should work for free. If you're doing volunteer work or if you're creating art. I do ask of it for free because this is my art. This is my creative outlet. And I know that it is for myself and for my audience. And if you're volunteering for charity, then do it for free. Everything else, don't you ever work for free. Because let me tell you why. Every single time that I have been told that I should work for free, it was always by someone who was making at least 50K a year. Meaning that if that person themselves out of their pocket wanted to every single day that I work, hand me $20 and be like, here's $20 for today's work. They could have perfectly afforded to. They just knew that if they could extract free labor, they would. I started this podcast out by saying someone who can take your dreams who can extract or exploit your talent in order to get ahead in their own dreams and destinies, they absolutely will. And unpaid internships, which should be illegal, are one way of doing that, especially if you know it's going to be bad for you. Another thing, you're saying that you want to do political journalism. Journalism is making more money right now than it has in the last 60 years. A news cycle that used to be 24 hours, 28 hours, meaning you could print the front page paper, it would still be relevant a day after, has been shortened to about 10 hours, meaning halfway through the day, the news cycle upturns and you have more news. So journalists are making and being hired more than they ever have, ever. So if someone tells you that you're going to do political journalism, which right now is such a hard job given the political climate, and they're telling you that you should do it for free, that person is getting over on you because their desk is filled with a bunch of shit that they have to do, and they're just going to put it on you even though they're getting paid. That's how it works. The only people in the last four years in my career that have asked me to work for free are the New York Times. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, the first time that they approached me, they asked me to do it for free. For the sake of art and for political discourse, I did one free article. After that, I said, I need a contract or I'm walking away. And they said, are you serious? This is the New York Times. I said, yep. And I'm Bianca and my bills are due on the 1st and 15th. And they gave me a contract because I demanded it. I said, you can either have my intellectual labor or you can kiss my backside. And that was pretty much the only two ultimatums. And guess what? Yep. The biggest newspaper in the world cared enough to sign that check because they knew I wasn't the one. I haven't worked for free since I was 
was 14 years old, guys. And when I was 14, I was babysitting. And then I got my job and it started salary at $8 an hour. But let me tell you, getting paid does a few things. One, it gives you a sense of personal security because you can afford to pay for things. Two, it gives you a sense of dignity because yes, material wealth is a type of dignity, which is why capitalism is so fucked up because it takes away people's inherent ability to work to create a sense of dignity for themselves. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. If you want to get into political journalism, you're better off working for a local community paper or local community radio station that's going to pay you $10 an hour to hold the mic and to transcribe interviews in a small dark room. And you would be out of a huge conglomerate that's going to ask you to do the same exact thing for free and you're going home hungry. You need to set a standard for your life and let this be the standard for the rest of your life. Do not work for free. Let me not, let me catch one of y'all working for free. I swear, if one of y'all writes me and I find out y'all have been working for free, that's really, you're gonna get the worst of me. I do not encourage anybody who's affiliated with me. Listen, listen, we don't do shit for free. We don't do nothing for free unless it's for the kids or the homeless. We don't do it for free, period, period, period. If you don't, if you didn't hear anything else in the rest of this 30 minutes, we don't work for free. So turn it down, find something else that pays. If you don't find something else that pays, then create a personal endeavor for yourself that you're willing to do for free. Because like I said, the only time we work for free, volunteer and charity work and for ourselves. That's it. So that's all the time that we have for today. It's been real as ever. Just as a logistical thing, let me tell you all two things. One, I am always recording Ask Viv. You all do not have to send me 12 messages being like, where's the new episode? I am really going to work for this next 14 episodes because next episode will be 14. For this next 14 episodes, I am working on actually creating a consistent release schedule so that every two weeks you all can look forward to an episode. That is something I am personally committing to. It is my mid-year resolution. And two, I am moving to the visual side. So I am creating a web series called Generational Anxiety with Bianca Vivion, and I'm going to take all of the questions that it seems like I'm never going to answer that you guys write me, and I am going to answer that on video, because some things that you all ask me, you would have to see my face to answer them, because I am not as serious and mysterious as I clearly appear to be. So that's going to be about pop culture, generational anxiety, politics, fashion, all of the things that I seem to never answer on this podcast you're going to see it live in person in visual medium so we're doing something new something good and it's dropping the first episode the week of my birthday october 7th so please look out for that as always no love show love be love more love more life i'm bianca vivion and this is ask viv
I can let it all pass me by. 